Isn't that great? Uh, baptism is the most visible way to identify with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced uh, the gospel is the hope of the world and the church is God's primary means for living out and communicating that message. So that was a great video and um, that is awesome to see. Please pray with me this morning. Father God, we just thank you uh, for your blessing um, that we can witness through those baptisms. Thank you, thank you ultimately through the giving of your son whose death and resurrection um, we can celebrate. We can gather together that we have fellowship through. I pray that uh, you bless the opening of your word this morning. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I'm John Peters. I have the privilege of serving on the Bridge Leadership Team. I've been asked to speak this morning. Um, Jerry has been in California recently for a conference and seen some family in Southern California. Bridge kids, <laughs> this is your time to go celebrate, worship God. Next week, Jerry will be back, continuing through the Exodus series that we've been going through the past couple months. But today I'm honored to be here, to have the chance to open up God's Word and walk through Scripture with you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we won't have passages on PowerPoint this morning, but the ushers do have some Bibles uh, that they're able to pass out. If you don't have one, I would encourage you to get one. Uh, you can raise your hand and they would be happy to pass those out. This summer, my wife and I inherited a table that had been in the home of her grandparents for probably over 60 years. And this, would, this was the table that her dad and her uncles would have grown up around. And it wasn't particularly expensive. It didn't have exotic wood. Um, it wasn't necessarily an antique, but it had great historical significance to us. And her grandma, like many people in her generation, living through the, the Depression and the World War II, um, sought to protect furniture they had, including the table, by covering it in plastic. And it completely understandable. They had four boys. You don't want your kids wrecking your furniture. They didn't have Ikea. I mean... So over the years, the plastic stayed, and year by year, month by month, week by week, the plastic became one with the table. It was like the furniture version of sanctification. Day by day, it became more and more conformed to this table. And I brought a piece of said table. We're actually in the process of refinishing this, and by we, I mean my wife. <laughs> and like so many people of our generation, hopped up on HGTV, 
do-it-yourself blogs, Pinterest, can't forget Pinterest. Um, we've seen so many before and after pictures of refinished furniture that uh, we've decided to take up this challenge. Refinish it, try to figure out a way to scrape off the plastic layer and uh, ultimately stain the wood again and uh, hopefully have that in our home later this summer. So for now, a work in process. But as we were just beginning that project, thinking about tables and reading through the Gospels again, Some of what I've been reading in Luke has taken on new meaning for me that uh, God kind of uses things in your life to show you areas of the gospel that, that you've glossed over before. And so I, I started examining how something so ordinary as food, a meal, a table, could add anything to my study of Scripture. But then I thought about all the many ways, the metaphors, the images that the biblical writers use, you know, athletic images and metaphors. You know, let me run the race set before me with endurance, Hebrews 12. Agricultural metaphors, you know, a farmer went out to sow seed, Matthew uh, 13. Construction, the man who builds his house on a rock. And financial, you know, the borrower is the servant of the lender, in Proverbs. We, we discuss all these images and, and metaphors, and rightly so. And most of us generally understand them, even though we're not necessarily athletes or farmers, builders, or bankers. They're images that we, we use and are used to connect us to God's Word. And so why not something so ordinary as a meal at a table? I'm not here just to talk about food to make anybody hungry. Don't worry. Um, it's only going to be an hour sermon, so. Just kidding, a kid. I'm afraid the bridge kid teachers would unleash an army of three-year-olds into the service if I went too long. You thought the Egyptian army in hot pursuit of the Israelites was scary. My three-year-old would be leading the pack. Um, I guess we're not there yet in Exodus, but a couple weeks. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, no, we're not here to just talk about food, uh, but about the bread of life and the cup of salvation, Jesus Christ. It's not just sitting around a table, but about a carpenter who, in his day and in an early career, probably made a few. I've titled this message from Luke, A Gourmet Gospel at the Table with Jesus, because for a good portion of Luke's gospel, Jesus is sitting around a table. Either that, or he's going to a meal, or coming from a meal, or he's telling a story, a parable, that chances are includes a meal in some form or fashion. In fact, of the 23 parables that Jesus tells in Luke, 15 of them about 70% include a meal. 
So Luke is like a waiter. He's bringing out dish after dish, story after story that Jesus is creating and telling. And so this morning, I'd like to look at what can we learn about Jesus at the table. And we'll sample a four-course biblical meal, courtesy of Luke. We'll see how Jesus used meals around a table to, number one, show grace in tangible ways. Number two, we'll see how Jesus used meals around a table to tell identity-forming stories. We'll see how Jesus used meals around a table to teach his disciples more than any lecture could. And we'll see how the early church in the book of Acts, also written by Luke, used meals around a table to create a unified community that, draw, that drew more people uh, than any event could. See, Bobby Flay, Wolfgang Puck, Gordon Ramsay, they have nothing on Luke when it comes to serving out a gourmet gospel. So the first passage we'll look at is in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. What do we learn about Jesus at the table? Number one, Jesus used meals in a very tangible way to display his grace. Luke 5, 27. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to the sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to go, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the, do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, yours go eating and drinking. So Jesus shows grace in one of the most tangible ways, yet shocking ways, to the, the contemporary Jewish culture at his time. Tax collectors in the first century of Israel were despised. They were the ones who collected taxes from Israel for the Roman occupying government. And yet Jesus eats freely with them. And the religious leaders trying to put together who he was can't quite come to grips with what he's doing by sitting down at the table with them to share a meal. You see, sitting down at a table then, as it is now, is one of the most connecting things you can do with somebody else. So what else do we learn about Jesus at the table? Moving on to our second course, we, we learn briefly that Jesus used meals to tell identity-forming stories. And in fact, even before Jesus came to this earth, the Israelite people did the same. We are working through Exodus. And very soon, Jerry will get to a point in Exodus 
where, they, um, where God delivers Israel through the Passover. And the Passover is something that will be repeated generation by generation, year by year, around the table for Jewish families. In Exodus 12, God commands Moses, he says, in the nation of Israel, he says, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. That when you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, observe this ceremony. He's talking about uh, celebrating Passover, the Passover Seder that, uh, that the Jews implemented. And he says, when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in, in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So this is something, the celebration of that at a meal, around a table, where the different foods symbolize different aspects of the story is something commanded by God as a remembrance of God. And in the Passover Seder, it's the the children, the next generation that largely tell the story and ask the traditional questions. And so they're uh, grafted into this story of faith that helps form their identity from an early age. And Jesus, likewise, gives his disciples an identity that is countercultural to the time that they lived in. And in one such celebration of the Passover, the Last Supper, Jesus points out in that passage that he is the fulfillment of what the Passover was pointing to. If you turn further in Luke, Luke 22, beginning in verse 7. Luke writes, this is of Jesus and his disciples celebrating the Passover the day before he was taken to the cross. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They, the disciples, left and found the things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came and Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave it, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. So just as the Israelites had told stories and remembered around the table to help form the identity of each coming generation, Jesus, celebrating the Passover, helps form the identity of his disciples uh, around the table. Number three, Jesus used meals around a table to teach his disciples. Christian author and writer Leonard Sweet, in a book called uh, From Tablet to Table, says, Around the table is the place where true discipleship begins. Around the table is where true discipleship begins. And that was true for Jesus' ministry. Further on in Luke 22, beginning in verse 24, the apostles, sitting around a table, left to themselves for a little bit, start arguing about who sits where. Because who sits where around the table signifies who's most important in that culture. And so Jesus uses this as a time, as a teaching tool. In Luke chapter 22, verse 24, Luke records, A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. You are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be the youngest, should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Around the table is a place where true discipleship for Jesus began. (coughs) Finally, fourth course. Jesus' early church used meals to create a unified community that drew people to Christ. Jesus' early church used meals around a table to create a unified community that drew people to Christ. In Acts chapter 2, Acts 2, 46. Luke, also the writer of Acts, continues to describe what the church looked like in those first days. Luke 2, 46. And and Luke writes, Acts 2, 46. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And to me, this is a a great picture of one of the most tangible ways that the church can show hospitality that, in fact, is attractional, that, in fact, shows and demonstrates the grace of our Lord. And it says, day by day, the Lord was adding to the number of those who were being saved. There's a lot of great events and meetings we can go to. There's strategic thinking that's appropriate. There's programs that are wonderful. But in an evangelical world, it's easy to miss one of the most basic things that we as the church can do with each other, with our neighbors, with family, with anybody. That one simple request, please pass the bread. Well, now that you've almost finished dessert, uh, our meal is almost over. I hope you've enjoyed the cooking. If we want to show grace, modeled after Jesus, modeled after his death and resurrection, if we want to show grace in one of the most tangible ways, invite somebody to your table. If we want to form an identity, if we want to pass down to the next generation a Christ-formed identity of who they are in a world that's easy that's easy to lose that gather around the table if you want to learn and be discipled by somebody invite them over for a meal grab lunch grab breakfast grab coffee table it. If we want to be a part of a church that's unified, not divided, that draws people to Christ among other worthy and important ways, let's not forget this one. This is probably the easiest sermon application you will ever hear. Let's eat. John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall not thirst. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? I am. Let's eat. Please pray with me. Father God, um, each of your gospel writers tell us something different about you. They all point to your Son, but Lord, I just I praise you for uh, the chance recently just to walk through Luke, through um, the gospel that is inspired by your spirit that tells you about your son and your love. And I pray that uh, we as a church can model your hospitality, your grace through what your son has told us. He's the bread of life. He's the cup of salvation. Pray we eat and drink freely 
through faith in his death and resurrection. I pray we eat and drink freely by showing hospitality to neighbors, to friends, uh, to change the world. In Jesus' name, amen.